expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very latest in the series of ABSA Insights. It is all today about energy, energy security, energy utilities, but mostly today about storage. Now, to help us through the conversation today, uh, we've got Bhavtik Valabji, who's on the line to us from London. We've got Ted Blom, uh, who is a partner at the Mining and Energy Advisory Firm. Uh, and he is an expert on energy in South Africa in particular, but he's got a good view of the African continent. Ted Blom is with us today as well, as is Maximilian or Max Niederher. He is in Germany, in Dusseldorf, or very nearby Dusseldorf, uh, and he works for Siemens. And, of course, there is a big rush on around the world in order to win the battle of energy storage. Why don't I go around our virtual table, go to the table in London first. Bavtik, nice to see you in London today. Give me a perspective of what the problem is as you see it. Thanks very much, Bruce. Today we are going to be having a discussion with our expert panel, we've got Ted, the energy analyst, and Max from Siemens. And we're going to talk to you about energy storage. I mean, if you look at South Africa currently, you know, we've got a situation with ESCOM having aged fleet. You know, it's largely coal-fired. The integrated resources plan talks of a number of thousands of megawatts that need to be rolled out over the next several years, where the country moves away gradually from coal dependency. Uh, renewable energy and gas fire generation will become a big part of that energy mix. And we've just launched an emergency power program in South Africa, 2000 megawatts. And as a bank at the forefront of financing this, we've seen significant interest from uh, developers, most of them being international, various forms of, of technology being mooted. And a lot of what we're seeing is actually some shape or form of energy storage. And there's many forms of energy storage. So today we were going to talk about that and how that will actually supplement variable renewable energy such as we have with wind and with solar PV as an example. Thank you, Bhavtik, very much. To you, Ted Blom, with the same problem as you see it. Okay, so I think uh, the energy problem in South Africa and Southern Africa is very well traversed now uh, and has been for at least the last 12 years. And I think uh, it's time for people to open up their minds and and to start looking at alternatives because the ESCOM that we knew and relied on for nearly 100 years is no longer capable of satisfying the needs of both the South African economy, uh, South African households, as well as the industrial countries, uh, industrialized countries uh, as our neighbors. Uh, So I'm I'm very glad that uh, battery technology has come to the fore, primarily because uh, all these cries about uh, non-dispatchable renewable energy uh, on its own uh, as a a solution have really been all misplaced. And I was one of the first people to cry out that uh, that when costing these projects, you need to add the cost of storage. And that's the only fair way to compare it to something that's available 24-7. So yes, after batteries, I think there'll be some more transformations, certainly into hydrogen which uh, as as far as longer life is concerned, uh, is still the primary uh, solution for industrial clients. And maybe one day soon for household clients as well. Thank you, Ted Blom. Uh, Max, to you, I mean, wherever there is a problem, there is a a solution. uh, And a solution is an opportunity for some and Siemens, at the forefront, of course, of many of these global technologies at the moment. You must be licking your lips in anticipation. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah. Um, well, just a small hint here. Um, as you probably know that we had the spinoff, we're right now really focusing on energy more than we did before. Part of the Siemens family here, but really as Siemens Energy right now, really focus on our energy sector here. But if you ask me what are probably the major trends that we see here coming from the global perspective. We definitely see the increasing demand in all areas of the world. So the electrification will proceed. And as we learn that all the emerging technologies are very energy hungry. So we see that as a major trend besides the topic of decarbonization. We already heard it from Bavtik here um, that we have a lot of uh, engines still running all over the world uh, looking for carbon-based fuels. And then also the topic of decentralization, helping also support the um, the security in the grids. And um, all those major trends, I would think, um, are somehow overlapped with the add-on of renewable power into the systems, um, decreasing technology cost, um, as we also heard it right now from Ted, uh, that there's at least an, uh, a way forward anticipated looking at the battery market. But we also see that there is certain flexibility required in those systems. And for sure, also on the regulation side, we see there are certain movements also enabling energy storage as part of the energy landscape. I think the overall goal here is cut down CO2 emissions and securing the um, securing the grids and the, the energy supply. How evolved is the technology that is required in order to make the storage of renewables feasible? I mean, we make the assumption that Germany, which at one point um, had lots of nuclear power, then took nuclear off the grid, is using lots of renewables, therefore storage. Just how evolved are you? We assume that you're world leaders, and I think you are. I think um, still the German market is variable. Yeah? So there is no, no clear direction. We see that, that there are projects evolving, looking at the battery side, more focusing, let's say, on short-term durations of discharging power. We always need to consider that in the terms of energy storage, we are always talking about different periods of discharging. That means that you probably just want to bridge a certain period where you don't have sun available, probably an hour or two hours, or you're looking at longer term durations here, talking about hours up to days and even weeks where you need to bridge because your your security um, coming from renewable power uh, might not be given in certain areas. So what we see in Germany, that there's a lot of push also looking at, let's say, the decarbonization of an existing clean, making coal-fired power plants into storage power plants, which is possible using energy in thermal energy storages and make that usable for, for the existing fleet. So that is some, some movement that has been there besides the topic of, uh, of lithium iron battery storages, which are also helping, let's say, um, yeah, keeping the grid alive and, and securing, um, the, the support or the transport of energy also in a decentralized fashion. So I think those are right now some some steps to go into that area of uh, storage uh, applications. Max, thank you very much. Teblom, I mean, Germany is at the cutting edge of so much of the tech and so many of the opportunities. Here in South Africa, we're way behind the curve. 12 years into our energy crisis, we're still deep in a crisis. And many countries north of our borders are in deeper mess than we are. Crisis, yes, opportunity, enormous. How do you read it? 
So um, I, I really think that uh, if you ignore just the South African paradigm for the moment, because that is uh, fraught with political obstacles, just outside our borders, there's 10 times bigger opportunity than the opportunity in South Africa. And these are countries that I've traversed uh, quite well over the last 30, 40 years. And, and, and really, they are crying out for energy. Uh, energy is the key ingredient for economic development. Uh, people are tired of living in the third and the fourth world. And, and they all now see energy as the gatekeeper to a a very prosperous future. So yes, I think that the opportunities are are around and I think they've matured now and I think people are hungry for the solutions and really I think uh, certainly in the medium term, this is going to open up a lot lot of competition which actually is, is, as you all know, very good for getting prices down to affordable levels. Yeah, the, the huge knock-on effects are, are, are felt throughout the entire economy. I mean, Bavtik, it does come down then to, very significantly, the choices that policymakers make, not only in South Africa, but in other countries too, across this continent. I agree with what Ted's saying. I think, unfortunately, you need things to go wrong first before they come right. And I think it's exactly that when you have you know, power shocks to the system, you have blackouts or you have load shedding that actually forces or jolts government into action. Now, what we've seen in South Africa, you know, clearly we've got the integrated resources plan, which is government's energy plan for the next, you know, several years up until 2030. And, you know, there's a very clear shift in there where we are clearly moving away from over-reliance on coal to diversifying our energy mix to include renewable energy, to include gas-fired power generation, etc. So I think when you look at ESCOM, I mean, the bulk of ESCOM's generation fleet is actually coal-fired. The average age of the fleet is well in excess of 28 years. And the reality is that all fleet is inefficient, is expensive to run. And I think the, the positive story from that is the government is actually going to be rolling out through ESCOM, through IPPs, a number of IPPs to generate the more capacity that we actually need, right? So we, we are a country with blessed with a lot of natural resources, a lot of mining and metals, uh, and we need to beneficiate more. But in order to entice international companies and uh, mining entities to actually beneficiate those metals in the country, you need cheap, reliable access to power. And that is really the precursor to actually getting industry growing uh, again in South Africa, to creating jobs and fostering industrialization. So yes, I think in many respects that will come, but in many respects, South Africa also leads the way as to what happens in the region, right? So Ted spoken earlier about, you know, the size of the opportunity set. If you take energy storage, you know, it is still very new globally. But I think this emergency power program that we're currently running, where we are seeing a lot of internationals trying to deploy energy storage, will in many senses be the leading indicator of what is to come in many parts of the region and indeed Southern and the rest of Africa. I wonder if you agree with Ted Blom when it comes to, and I think this is what Ted was talking about, just talking about the, the whether or not the, 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 the huge state-owned utilities as we know them, ESCOM being the biggest I think on the continent is relevant and fit for the future. Um, I know the South African government has, you know, been talking for years and when Andre Dureta, the chief executive at ESCOM, is talking about chopping it up into the three component parts, which may extend the, the life term of a of a holding company at the helm of these these three bits and pieces. But I wonder if we're just not so far beyond that already. As far as Eskom is concerned, when I worked there 30 years ago, it was already divisionalized. I could tell you SBU, uh, and that is strategic business unit for unit, I could tell you the exact cost structure, the monthly cost, the budgets, the cost of each employee, etc. So for the argument that... Uh, 
Breaking Eskimap will lead to greater transparency. Uh, it's a fool's paradise. And I think that uh, Eskim as we know it in any way is irrelevant for the future because two years ago at the uh, conference in Cape Town, I forecast that the future would be for most businesses and households would be microgrids. In fact, I've, I've done a lecture to the regulator on that about five years ago. So they're expecting uh, developments in that area. And certainly if it uh, is done properly, uh, it will be far more cost efficient uh, than Eskom could ever hope to be. So Eskom will be left with two classes of uh, customers. The one would be the very cost sensitive industrial customers who are pulling their hair out and disinvesting because Eskom uh, has ripped uh, their profits out of their, out of their businesses. And, and second, Secondly, the indigents who don't want to pay for electricity because they were made political promises. So Eskom's future income stream is going to be under even more pressure than it has been over the last 10 years, uh, which funded all the corruption and the misdemeanors and inefficiency. Uh, even if they wipe that all out tomorrow, Eskom's uh, future income stream is not what it's going to be in the past and will start declining at a faster and faster rate. Spavtik, uh, the obsolescence argument, where does that leave us then in terms of the future of energy provision on this continent? And then we need to talk to Max about how he and his colleagues plan to not exploit, because exploit's a nasty word, but take advantage of the position we find ourselves in. But obsolescence argument, Mavtik? Obsolescence, I mean, you know, speaks to two or three things, Bruce. I mean, I think the one thing is, in the case of South Africa, I wouldn't say, we've got old plant. I wouldn't say it's, it is, in a sense, kind of obsolete uh, because they, they're old, they're inefficient, they're expensive to run, right? ESCOM's coal-fired uh, power generation fleet. I think the number, if I recall, is actually closer to 35 or 39 years is the average age of the fleet, right? Uh, and, and that clearly is inefficient, outdated, and expensive to run. But basically also, the way the grid has actually been designed, I mean, if you go back a generation or so ago, the, the world over, you know, the transmission grids were actually designed for centralized generation of power. Right. So essentially in South Africa, you have the coal fields in Limpopo and in Pumalanga. And, you know, from there, our generation actually occurs and is wheeled up to 2000 kilometers all the way uh, down to Cape Town. Now, that is not ideal. The world's moved. Uh, Max spoke a little while ago about sort of, uh, you know, decentralized distribution. And clearly in, in South Africa, you know, we still have a relatively high electrification rate. But if you look at what's, you know, the situation outside of South Africa, where, you know, generally in Africa, you have more than 600 million people that don't have access to reliable, affordable electricity. The only way you're going to get that electrification rate up is by having generation at specific load centers. Um, and that speaks directly to reformatting of the way the grid is designed, right? So you will have a generation plant, whether it is solar or renewable energy at a load center where power is required. It eliminates this need for long transmission distances and hence the, the transmission losses that actually come with long distances. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to result in the whole evolving of the way the energy landscape will be looking going forward and certainly requires, um, you know, redesigning of the grid completely from the old days in which ESCOM was actually, you know, built and designed for with centralized distribution. Max, 30 years ago, um, South Africa's ESCOM used to produce a map and they would say ESCOM powers South Africa and it showed that South Africa is this bright beacon at the bottom end of a continent that was otherwise dark and there were little patches of light in some capital cities dotted across the continent. Uh, in our uh, regular episodes of load shedding, South Africa goes fairly dark as well. But in a continent which has got 
a, a rapidly changing demography of lots and lots of young people, economically active young people with a huge opportunity set. Governments are going to be looking for stable energy. Um, and I just wonder how you see this opportunity set playing out for the global energy industry to help bring some energy stability and security to this continent? I think there are two steps here. Actually, it's what we heard from Bavtik, um that we have an existing fleet, which probably needs some modernization, probably also some fuel shifting coming from coal to gas uh, as one major step also towards um, decarbonization. I think keeping the, the existing infrastructure is somehow, from, from my perspective, very crucial yeah, to avoid unnecessary investments here at points where you probably don't need it. But then look into into um, the add-ons of, of renewable power and make them smart connected with certain storages to really feed into those uh, really focal points or local points where you really have energy consumption available. So that you probably need to need to look at the, the whole uh, the whole energy system a bit differently, trying to add up power where it's also consumed and try to also use the geo geographical advantages that some of the locations might have and bring the power also via storages, also also very smart transmission lines to those points where it's really required. I think those two steps going into a fuel or a ga a coal to gas shift um, is helping to somehow stabilize the system and then add up energy generation and also storage to those points where energy consumption is really needed. And just talk to me about the technologies. Earlier, Ted Blom referred to the South Africa becoming the sort of hotbed of a technology war, and it sounds terribly exciting. Uh, but there is a, a huge amount of development happening in the evolution and, of course, the cost curve of so many of these solutions plummeting beautifully from a consumer perspective. Just uh, tell me what it's looking like right now. I think, um, and, and Ted also mentioned that point, um, we have an existing market already for batteries. Well, talking about batteries in households, in uh, electric vehicles. So there is a lot of movement, um, I think, in the usage of the chemical power in the regards of the battery. So we also expect that there is a certain spillover effects out of the electrical movements into the cost decrease in uh, for, for batteries. And I think that market is already there. Um, in some parts of the uh, of the world, it's just pending on regulations. So who is able to really run a, a storage? That is that is a general question that we need to tackle also with the regulators. Who is really capable to operate a storage? But other than that, I think the, the t technology itself is available. The integrational part is available. So there is no doubt about it. Uh, we see that um, our partner here, Fluence, is selling batteries uh, worldwide. Uh, you probably have seen Tesla, especially in Australia, already putting up some flagship projects there. So that market is there and the technology is there to, to somehow address this market. Besides that, and Bruce, I think uh, that is the topic that we also need to tackle is, okay, what is what is after batteries? Yeah. So looking also into longer term durations um, of discharging power, making somehow a baseload operation also available for the integration of renewables, talking about 24-7 availability of renewable power, there might be other technologies emerging. So we are looking at currently as the implication of thermal energy storages, just due to the fact that the way of how you, you save uh, energy is very cheap. Yeah, just looking at solid materials, stones, concretes, all those materials are somehow are available. And you can store in a, in a fair small area, you can store a lot of capacity. 
helping also to to bridge that longer gap that might uh, might come up by the further on integration of renewable power and i think that is somehow the way forward from my perspective looking at the midterm and then i think ted also mentioned the point of hydrogen um which is from my topic then a real economy shift that we will see in future um that we're able to somehow really store surplus energy and make it available through through pipelines um through transportation uh into the different sectors and and really use that kind of energy uh, wherever it's required let's talk about hydrogen in just a little while right now we look at the battery technologies we look at the huge metals dependency and then certainly i think there's a huge african opportunity in terms of providing the raw materials the resources bavtech that go into so many of these storage devices typically however africa broadly south africa too is very good at extracting minerals and then exporting those minerals and the value add happens elsewhere is there an opportunity on this continent for extraction exploitation development adding the value here for solutions here bruce absolutely bruce, i mean i think Certainly, something that uh, African governments, not just South Africa, but African governments, should be looking at. I mean, you know, we we have we are blessed with an abundance of resources, but as you quite rightly point out, you know, this is actually uh, beneficiated. Manufactured products are actually produced elsewhere, outside of South Africa or outside of the continent, right? So, you know, what are the sort of key ingredients, uh, you know, that uh, from a metals perspective, currently on batteries? So, one one the obvious one is obviously lithium ion, uh, vanadium, obviously. cobalt right so we know as an example tesla have signed a big agreement with the drc for the actual procurement of cobalt uh it's actually one of the big trading houses glencore for you know the the production of batteries that they will be using on electric vehicles right so i think this is certainly something i mean we have a big issue in our country with regards to unemployment a very high unemployment rate gradually i think we've moved away from being a mining economy where you know lots of jobs are created you know mines have actually become now deeper and obviously the, the cost of production on gold etc has actually gone up quite a lot it's not south africa is not a low cost producer of gold anymore so we've got to look at other ways of actually stimulating our economy and from a jobs perspective renewable energy has certainly been one but one would argue generally during the construction phase you know only this is really short term jobs you know one two years for the duration of the construction but on the mining side right so these metals that are spoken about whether it's lithium whether it is cobalt whether it is vanadium and other this is certainly something that government should be looking at not just mining them but you know providing the right incentives right so whether it is tax breaks whether it is reliable energy supply whether it is uh you know uh, special economic zones or whatever it is to actually you know entice um internationals to set up factories here use our metals produce the goods create employment for our people and then ship the completed with the finished product so i think it's a great opportunity and but you know we need to fire on all cylinders for this to work and i think we can do it we have the ability we've done it successfully on the motor industries development plan and the auto sector there's no reason why we can't replicate something along those lines for energy storage uh, and battery metals Ted Blom, uh, we heard the mines and the mineral resources and energy. He's got so many titles. Minister Guedamantashe fairly recently announcing a new series of exploration licenses being granted for companies to go out and find battery minerals, if you like. I mean, they even been called battery minerals nowadays. Is this the beginning of a new cycle? Do you think? Okay, so uh, yeah, the the alternative uh, industrial minerals, which are 
mainly cobalt uh, and, and vanadium and, and to a certain extent some of the uh, lithium ions. There's lots of them in Africa and certainly I see, uh, certainly in the intermediate uh, period with battery technology wanting to fill the gap uh, immediately because people are familiar with batteries. You've got batteries in every car, in every cell phone. So people are familiar with uh, with battery technology and I foresee tremendous developments uh, under under that area, but certainly not in South Africa. The, the mine charter is a major impediment uh, to 100 years of growth. In, in the mining industry. And many times in those last hundred years, South Africa was the leader in various categories of minerals, uh, exploitation and beneficiation. Uh, those days are past. With this new mining charter demanding uh, 50% or 51% BEE requirements, nobody can put, uh, no, no organization anyway, can put shareholders' money into a, a project where from day one, you are the, are the minority party. You're supplying all the capital, but you're not part of the decision-making process. I mean, just logically, that doesn't work. And from a fiduciary point of view, that's why you're seeing Anglo and uh, all the other big mining houses, Billiton, disinvesting. Rio Tinto has already gone to a large extent. And uh, the only one that's sort of sticking around for the moment is Glencore. And I, I have no doubt that if uh, uh, things carry on as they are, that even Glencore and the other people, will, uh, smaller players will close shop. You can't, it's not sustainable. You can't have, and, and the, the lack of exploration in South Africa for the last 20 years coincides 100% with a new mining charter. Uh, and, and that just, if, if that wasn't an alarm bell for the government and Minister Mantas, whom I've known for a long time, then I don't think there's any wake-up call uh, that's going to wake up this ANC with its populist uh, strategies. Mining is over as far as this country is concerned, unless if there's a drastic wake-up call and the playing field is restored to what it was uh, to make it amenable and exciting for mining companies to reinvest in South Africa. Max, talk to me about the tech evolution. Talk to me about how we go uh, from the current method of generation, which by and large, and certainly in Africa, is coal-powered. In some parts of the world, nuclear, we're seeing more renewables elsewhere in the world, particularly in your region. Uh, but as we move then, to hydrogen. Just give me a, a paint a picture for me, please, as to how this evolution happens. Well, looking at the one side, I think one part of the or one major step that we need to take to come closer to decarbonization scenarios is really do first of all the coal to gas shift because that is somehow significantly already reducing the emissions uh, of the existing fleet. When we just then look at the storage part itself, I think right now, as already being said, there is a significant potential here for the application of, of batteries. And then within the way of uh, going to an hydrogen future, there is a, let's say, a battle in between. Yeah. So we see that their cost of batteries are decreasing, helping also building bigger storage sizes, helping the overall business case of the application um, of batteries. But on the other hand, there is also very good potential, as I said, for other technologies, either it's thermal based, it's it's compressed air, it's liquefied air. There's a variety of, of different technologies emerging and um, they always have the very good opportunity of economy to scale. That means looking at the sizes of those projects, um, in the most of the cases, you get a benefit of building it just bigger. And that is um, somehow the challenge here I see for batteries, looking at fuel cells and modularization. I think that is a major step to, to achieve the cost down curve. But once you, you're seeking for higher amounts of energy, also for a longer term duration, there are really those different technologies. And some of the technologies are also somehow capable to really have a, a sector coupling potential. 
So we're talking about the thermal energy storage, besides the potential for re-electrification. It could be also the usage of that heat that is stored within the storage itself to be used in any industrial process where, where heat is, is required. Thinking about also the mining processes. I think what we also will see in future is really the multi-usage of energy. Yeah, that means you have the you need the flexibility to decide, okay, right now I would like to produce more electricity or I want to use the heat elsewhere. But it's it's really using each part of the energy and therefore make it also addressing um, addressing the needs uh, really properly and uh, make it therefore very efficient. I think that is one one big challenge and also a big opportunity. Max, thank you. Um, let's go to you and maybe to wrap up uh, this afternoon, Bavtik. Uh, Bavtik Valabji, he is in London. He uh, is with APSA. And 20 years from now, it's the year 2040. It's November 2040. There'll be no more pandemics. There'll be no more nasty shocks. Um, the world is getting on. Everybody's playing nice. What does South Africa, perhaps Africa's energy mix look like, Bavtik? I'm going to ask the question to all three of you and then wrap up. Well, I see uh, the the future of energy is really bright from a renewable energy perspective. I think, uh, you know, 2040 seems like a long way, but it actually isn't. Uh, at the rate uh, battery technology has been evolving, you know, we've been talking a lot about sort of green hydrogen fuel cells. You know, I think that is certainly going to become a more dominant part of our energy mix. The cost uh, has been evolving uh, immensely over the last few years. There's been a lot of money being plowed into R&D on battery and energy storage. Um, so I think that coupled with tapping nature's natural resources that are afforded to us, uh, you know, and, and we have an abundance of, of brilliant uh, solar radiation in South Africa amongst the highest in the world. So I think solar can be a huge potential. Uh, wind, right? So in South Africa at the moment, we still have only onshore wind, not offshore wind. If you look at Europe, there's a lot of offshore wind uh, generation occurring. So I think uh, in time, I think you will find that our landscape on the energy will actually move almost completely, well, not completely, but to a large extent away from coal. It will be gas uh, that will be augmenting uh, or supplementing variable renewable energy. Wind, solar, energy storage will be a big dominant part. And uh, the storage element uh, will actually uh, enable renewables to be dispatched as and when needed. So I think it's, it's, it really makes for a green future going forward. Ted Blom, give us your perspective, please. The year 2040, what does it look like? Other than we, neither of us can focus really anymore and we can't really pay attention anymore because we've got a bit old for this, but uh, give me a perspective. Okay, so yes, I'm currently busy doing a health reset and I hope to be around in 2040. Previously, I thought I'd be gone by 2030. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, if I look forward, uh, we're certainly going to see electricity commoditized because the means of generating and the demands on different types of electricity input are going to be so drastically different uh, that uh, you'll be able to store more than adequate power on on your residential site, especially if you're part of a microgrid. And and the only industries that might still uh, really be suffering from uh, the malaise of a formal energy sector are the heavy users, the smelters and the mines and so on, if they haven't haven't disinvested by by 2040. So yes, uh, in 2040 uh, and after that, uh, certainly uh, the terrain will be very, very different. And uh, hopefully we'll all be in a very prosperous,
first position because uh, certainly uh, the market is going to open up. Every Tom, Dick and Harry will have access to very, very cheap power. And that was what power was supposed to be in, in this part of the world until the policy of Eskom was changed. And uh, I think we all can look forward to a very prosperous future. Uh, I certainly am. My, that's how I started off by asking Max whether he was licking his lips in anticipation of the opportunity. Uh, final thoughts on this topic to you, Max. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. I, I could not agree more with uh, what has been said. I think really the future is there. Um, looking at renewables and the application of storage into that, because that is giving us the security that we can ensure energy supply 24-7 out of renewable power and then adding up. Uh, wherever it's required by some some gas-fired um, station will also help us keeping a, a clean and friendly environment here. I think that those are really the steps that need to be taken. And then for sure, there needs to be a backup on the regulation side to, to really empower also the application of storage into those systems. And really look at, uh, I think that was Buffett, what Buffett said also, look at the, the potential that are just given by nature, by the geo, uh, geographical advantages. Also looking at offshore wind power, as we know, this is much cheaper um, than the onshore uh, wind power, and really use those potentials that are given and uh, set it up by the right foundation from, from the politics side. And uh, I think then um, 2040, um, is it looks like a very good future. Max Nieder here. Thank you very much indeed. From Dusseldorf in Germany, where he works for Siemens, uh, and also to Bavtik Valabji, who is with the power division within APSA. Uh, thank you very much indeed. And also to Ted Blom, partner at Mining and Energy. He is, of course, an energy analyst to you. Thank you very much for joining us today as we look to a, dare we say, brighter future. Certainly we hope so every time we flick a switch. Bye-bye. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.